Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Hello and welcome along to the latest Forza Italian Football podcast. As you probably know by now, I'm Connor Clancy. And this week I'm joined by just two people, but a duo that are more impressive than even Gonzalo Higuain and Paolo Dybala. First up, we've got Nicholas Carroll. Nick, how's everything with you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Good to be back talking Serie A. Um, spent most of the week just stalking Trent Sainsbury. Um, <laughs> at, um, he's following his progress at Inter. So, yeah, been a good week, really. Moving swiftly on, we're also joined by Luca Gumby. Luca, how's everything in Munich? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. I think Ian Ayres moved over the, from Liverpool to 1860 Munich, so that's interesting. I uh, quite enjoyed that slightly forced introduction you came up there with it. <laughs> that's good. I know there's a, a, a Q&A with uh, Trent Sainsbury tomorrow morning as well for uh, Australian centre-backs in uh, Serie A news, if anyone's interested in that. What's this agenda that you guys seem to have come up with away from me about talking about Trent Sainsbury? Just got a notification, guys, from um, YouTube, so it's going out live, thankfully. I thought I did something wrong for a minute, but that's good. Okay, so... We are recording just after the two midweek games that took place on Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. On Wednesday night, um, we saw Juventus win away at Crotone and AC Milan win at Bologna. I missed both of these games. I was on work, so I'm going to need you guys to fill me in. Luca, you watched Bologna-Milan. Other than Milan won with nine men, I don't really know much else about this game. So fill us in. What happened? Uh, well, it was kind of Milan started strong. They were attacking on the front foot, like about seven corners in a row in the first 10 minutes, but uh, weren't able to convert. Then it sort of leveled out. Bologna sort of grew into the game. They looked quite dangerous on the break. Then they managed to sort of get on the ball a bit more themselves. And then uh, Paletta got sent off for bringing out Jamaili. It was a second yellow card. Then it was pretty much all Bologna and. Then Kuchka also got sent off for a second yellow card. Bologna pressing to win it, probably should have won it. Donnarumma made a very, very good save off uh, Ladislav Krejci to stop it going 1-0 just after they'd gone down to nine. Then I, I guess in a perhaps way that was kind of almost inevitable with Bologna pushing forward and then just not capitalising Milan. Delefeu gets up the right, cuts back, and Pasalic scores to win it in the 89th minute. It was, yeah, it was kind of just a complete freak of a, a, a result, and I, I don't really know how much you can take from it. But it was, you know, it was just bizarre in a way how it ended. But it was kind of you could almost see it coming in a way of how Bologna were just failing to convert when they were so clearly ahead, and I think they just struggled with that kind of mental pressure in a way of having a two-man advantage and trying not to squander it that they managed to do the exact opposite. Do you think that um, the 
well, the mental obstacle that you touched on there it derives from the defeat at the weekend because that was completely humiliating to lose 7-1 at home. I know Napoli were like unstoppable at times, but seven, like that was incredible. I know you've covered Bologna quite closely this year, but how did they bounce back from this? I know I'm, I'm struggling to remember where they are on the league table at the moment, but I know they got a win recently and before that they were struggling quite badly. And if it wasn't for the bottom three being so cut and dry and separated from the rest of the league, I think Bologna, Bologna would be in a lot of trouble this year. So Luca, do you think there is any light around the corner for Bologna or is it just going to be a, a constant struggle until the end of the season? I think they're a bit of a strange team. Like before the Napoli game, they were going on one of their better runs. They they should have beat Cagliari, but they conceded the late goal as they did today. I think that's kind of one of the main issues. They've got quite a young team. They're trying to build for the future. They've got good players like Naji. He's probably the most obvious one. But even sort of Di Francesco, he's quite young. Verdi's kind of reinventing himself there. They, 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 they sort of play quite well in a lot of games and then they just have a bit of a tendency to sort of self-destruct in the last five minutes and concede like goals. They did it away at Lazio. They should have beaten Lazio. They, I think they did it at Chievo. They did it. They, they just keep doing it. I think... Like, Looking forward, perhaps the next season, there's not really so much they can do now. They, if they can, those young players can learn from that and see where they can't stop sort of looking higher up the table, try to do the kind of things that perhaps Atalanta or Torino or Sampdoria try and be around that kind of area. I think some ways they're unlucky. It's just uh, they they can learn. I, I don't think. I mean, I mean, obviously the bottom three are so uh, far behind anyway that it's hard to really talk of a relegation battle in any terms involving anyone but I think even without that you'd still expect them to be a team that's good enough to be safe it's just an issue of consistency and just a bit of composure to sort of hang on to games when they're they're in a good position and not throw things away yeah I just had a quick look at the table while you were speaking there and there's a kind of a cluster of teams between 11th, maybe even 10th with Sampdoria on 30 points and then down to Genoa in 16th on 25. So, and Bologna are in there in 14th. So any one of those teams could finish towards the top end of the bottom half of the table, if you know what I mean. And the season could look quite all right. And as you said, the the bottom three looks pretty much done. They're 13 points ahead of third bottom. So there isn't really a fear of relegation, I guess. So they can take their foot off the gas a little bit. We're going to move on and there's no other place to start really with last weekend's results than the Derby d'Italia. Uh, Juventus won again, but it wasn't all that easy for them, really. Nick, you were obviously going to be watching this game closely. and I thought, personally, Juventus were quite shaky defensively. Do you think Inter missed a big opportunity here to at least get a point at Juventus Stadium? Uh yeah, possibly. I think um, from the outset, Inter really pressed them high and pushed hard, uh, put put as much pressure as they could on uh, Juve at the back. And as you said, they did look shaky at times. So, um, you know, for a lot, uh, large part of the game, Inter had the better run of the ball, really, particularly in that first half. Um, but, I mean, that first half was incredible, just um, kind of end-to-end stuff anyway. It was a great kind of matchup. So... Um, Second half, it kind of Inter didn't come out as strongly, and it kind of died a bit, a bit there for fifteen twenty minutes. Um, then again, Juve just looked like they were just sitting back, and I don't know. It, it felt like there was a big opportunity for Inter to do something, and didn't really just lift to that extra level that they needed to. So, you know, I think I think given the run of the the game, a draw would have been a very fair result. Not to take it away from Juve, but I guess, um, you know, it's the same old thing with Juve. I don't know how many times we say it, but, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of form they're in or, you know, how good of a team plays them, um, how much pressure they're under, they, they'll get the results. And that's just another perfect example of them doing that. So there was a few controversies, which um, I, was a bit, I was a bit disappointed about, not not necessarily as a Inter fan, but as a Serie A fan, because I thought that, that match, particularly that first half, was a great promotion of Serie A and what Serie A can be, where it should be. Like that's, you know, back in the good old days when 
every one or two weeks you have those big games. But now it's somewhat of a rarity that two top teams are going at it at that and providing that much quality. So, um, you know, it was good on that aspect. And I think Allegri mentioned something along those lines that, you know, it was at the standard of a Champions League quarterfinal match. Um, and particularly that first half, I can't remember seeing the first half in Serie A in the last couple of seasons that was that higher quality. So, yeah, good game. A bit disappointing for Inter, but, um, you know, lots of positives um, for the Nerazzurri, I think, still. Yeah, um, I was, I'm thinking about talking about the controversies, but well, for now I just want to say from your point of view, if you can try and remove yourself as an Inter fan, you watch them more closely than anyone else on the pod does, so it's only right to let you talk about them. But how did they bounce back from this? I know losing to Juventus isn't always the end of the world because they're Juventus. And what is that, 28 home wins in a row now? Yeah. yeah. At Juventus Stadium. So, again, like, not that it's expected, but it's not a huge surprise to go there and come away with nothing. So is it a massive confidence blow for them? Or is it just, okay, lads, let's move on and get back to winning ways? Because they were in great form before this. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I don't don't think it's... uh it should be read into too much in terms of a form slump or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, they did lose to Lazio in the midweek before that. So technically it's two losses in a row, but I mean, you can only read into those cup games, you know, a limited amount. Um, and as you said, you know, as I said before, a draw would have been fair, I think, but you know, Inter played well for, for, for the, um, for where Inter is as a team in terms of building, you know, and that's what I've been saying quite frequently. They are very much still building towards something into a nowhere near finished product. So when you take that in, in, into consideration, there's absolutely nothing wrong with losing 1-0 to Juventus um, at in Turin. Um, the thing is now that, as you said, you know, the, you can't dwell on that. They need to look straight ahead, um, particularly with Empoli and Bologna um, the next two weeks. They're you know, the games that Inter should win relatively easily. So it's very important that Inter get straight back onto the winning streaks and get six points out of that um, going into Roma, who will be the next week after that. The one, I guess, big downer is, um, which was another kind of sour point, was losing, it looks like they'll lose Mario Cardi and Ivan Perisic for those two games. So it puts a bit more pressure on. So that was probably the last thing Inter needed after the loss. Um, the, the added weight of those those bands. So it will really test the mentality of the rest of the team and how uh, Stefano Pioli deals with that will be interesting. But if um, if they can go beyond that, get six points from the next two matches, I think it will show a lot about where the team is at. Yeah, Mauro Icardi, I think, kicked the ball at the referee after the game, all right? So that... His direction. Yeah, okay, so... Still, Mero Icardi, when he does things like that, it's so, so hard to like him. And then he'll just score loads of goals and you'll think, this guy's brilliant. And then he'll he'll do something stupid like that and you, you really want the guy to mature. But mm, Yeah, well, it's, it was just neat. The whole thing was needless. You know, like, again, like, it's, I'm not one that really wants to get into those controversies either. You know, it, it is what it is. It happens. That's it. You move on. And, I'm sorry um, to cut you off, but you've mentioned them just briefly. Are you buying into this whole thing that this is a massive conspiracy that Juventus are getting these decisions and Inter are being punished for? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, the, the the stats say that Inter do get a lot less, um, you know, penalties or whatever it might be, and. You know, Juve potentially get. I think there was a stat that was going around that they get um, more penalties decisions than most of the other top contenders. I don't know some crap like that. But to be honest, me, I'm, I'm, I pop, maybe it's na- naivety, but I'd like to kind of see the better in it. And after the Calcio Poli and all that kind of stuff, the last thing I want in Serie A is any kind of that kind of controversial bullshit. So I really hope, and I'll continue to believe that you know it's just a part of the game referees do make errors and can only hope that is that's all it is so i'm not going to read too much into anything like that i'm with you on that there were two big penalty calls for inter i think in the first half maybe but um yeah. 
I know the second one was a Benucci made a tackle in the box. It might have been on a cardiac, could be wrong. I personally, at first viewing and even on a couple of the replays, thought that was, that was an excellent tackle. I even put out a tweet praising Benucci for that tackle, like it was so perfectly timed. So I don't think that one was as big of a thing. And then there was an incident where I think it might have been Gary Medell basically caught the ball in Inter's box. So you could say that Juventus should have had a penalty for that. So I don't think there's a lot of Inter fans who are making a big deal out of this, but I think they're really just clutching at straws. We'll move away from the refereeing aspect now, but we're going to stick with Juventus. Luca, I'll come to you. Um, Kev P is writing an article on this at the moment, but I'd like to get your thoughts on it as well. Do you think that in this new system, Mario Mandzukic is possibly even their most important forward, even more so than Dybala and Higuain, because the stuff he does and the shift he puts in defensively is brilliant. Recently, when they played Atalanta, he got man of the match, and he was putting his face in the way of shots from 30 yards. He was not stopping at anything. He's a complete warrior. So do you think he is more important, if not just as important, as Higuain and Dybala? Um, perhaps not, not quite Higuain. I, I don't know if he's kind of got that that sort of ability to just sort of, unless Mark, uh, if he's got that that sort of kind of just class to do it all by himself yeah, that uh, Higuain does. But I think he's he's obviously the kind of uh, striker that I think a lot of, you know, your coaches would definitely love to have this just kind of, um, that, yeah, as you mentioned, that sort of workman-like quality because I think that's kind of been what's always got him going for his career, even at, at Bayern when they sort of were dominating. It was kind of his ability to just be the one who did all this work. And I think perhaps one of the difficulties that Juventus had slightly at the start of the season was just uh, when you've got all these kind of really big glamour players, just how to put them all together into one team. You know, if you've got this expectation, Higuain and Pjanic to just look wonderful with everything they do and um, just steamroll teams, I think that, that makes it quite difficult to play with that degree of just oh we have to win and look good whereas perhaps Mandzukic as a player these attitudes never really been there it's always been to close down to block the ball to just throw himself at it to get in wherever he needs to be so yeah I think he's certainly the kind of player that is benefiting from how Juventus have sort of managed to evolve slowly despite adding all these glamour players, he's kind of been revitalised as, you know, you normally talk of like defensive midfielders as kind of glue or whatever in a team that make everyone else look better. But as a striker, he is able to do that. And I think he's key for that. And it's sort of that, he's kind of like a modifier who makes those around him look better. And who Dybala and Higuain don't really need that much help, but any they can do, can really make them out as well. I t- I'll tell you what, Connor. Just following on from what you said, I can't agree more because it, particularly since they've moved to that 4-2-3-1, to me, Mandzukic, you know, he won't get the headlines, but he has been the most outstanding player in that formation for Juve. Um, his work rate is incredible. And I've, I'm not, I, in the past, I haven't been a massive fan of his, but um, I, I really respect players that work hard. And it's similar to Ivan Perisic's role that I've seen in, in Inter this year, this season, he, um, he'll run up and down that left flank. And, you know, when when on the counter, when the other team's on the counter, P- Parasic will often beat um, some of the wide defenders back in defence. It's the central backs and then Parasic. And that's exactly the same that I see in Mandzukic. And um, probably not what I expected. I didn't kind of expect that kind of work ethic. And you, it's interesting. You, I was actually checking out the heat maps from the, from the matches when they play that formation. And you look at Mandzukic's heat map and then Quadrado's and Quadrado's is kind of just up, up in the, the offensive sector and Mandzukic is just all across that whole line. And it's quite significantly in the defensive side, which a guy of his skills in attack is, you know, got to give it to him not only for working hard but for actually do, doing it for the team. I'm sure that's not his most favoured position, but, you know, it's fair play to him. I think he's been outstanding. Yeah, it's funny compared to Quadrado, he defends a lot more given Quadrado has played as a wing back yeah. plenty of times, not only at Juventus, but at Fiorentina. And when he went to Chelsea, it looked like maybe that's where he would get used, but they never really played with wing backs in their system at the time. 
But um, yeah, no, Mandzukic, I'm with you. I'm, I haven't always been his biggest fan. He's a, he's a really ugly player, to, for lack of a better phrase. He's, he gets about his business and he's not always pretty to watch, but he's, he is effective. And when a player works that hard for a team, you can't help but admire him. So we're going to move on from Juventus. You'll be happy to hear, I'm sure, to another club where there might be a bit of a striking dilemma developing, and that is Napoli. They won 7-1 away at Bologna. Uh, Dries Martins scored a hat-trick. Marek Hamsik scored a hat-trick. And Lorenzo Insigne added the other. So, Arkadius Milik is returning from injury. Luca, what does Sarri do? Stick with Mertens up top or put Milik in and push Mertens out wide? Uh, I, yeah, obviously it's a hard one. But I, I, I just stick with, with Mertens because... Um, I mean, obviously, Milik, I think he, he's a bit back earlier than he was expected to be anyway. So and they've been getting on fine without him, more or less. They're still probably the best, well, I mean, they're definitely the best attacking team in the league. They've That sort of Mertens, the small forward running in behind. Also, Hamshik's been able to get in behind. Insigne's really got back up to form. I, I don't really see... It, the need for to put Milik in just because he's back is uh, especially what well, they got the Champions League coming up soon. They can't really afford to they can't afford to sort of think, oh, we'll just ease Milik back in easily now. We'll give him a bit of playing time. Hope he gets a goal, gets his confidence up, gets his fitness up. I don't think they really have that that need to do that with, at the minute. The, the momentum they've got is so great that. Uh, sort of tinker with a winning formula just because you've got such a good player on the bench seems uh, like it'd be counterintuitive. But yeah, yeah. obviously, if, if they, they stutter, they can call straight back on him and then hopefully for their sake, he'll be able to pick up where he left off. Yeah, one of the things that I actually wrote when Merton scored his hat-trick, I, just, I was sitting watching and I just thought, I have to write about this. There has to be a piece about Merton's because... At times, he has been ridiculous this year. He's scored in 11 matches for Napoli, and in five of them, he scored more than once. Obviously, two hat-tricks, and then he scored four goals against Torino. But I think when I was looking to see what does Sarri do now, something that struck me was, of course, Jose Callahan is going to be suspended because he completely lost his head for some reason in a moment of absolute madness where he gave away the penalty and then just kicked out for seemingly no reason even watching the replays it was hard to really work out what got him so angry but with Callahan suspended there's an obvious gap there that needs filling and I kind of hope it doesn't happen but I can just see Milik coming back in and playing up top and Mertens being moved out to the right and being compromised as a result because he started off playing as a, a false nine but then more recently he's been there's no, no falseness about it. He's been an out-and-out out number nine and a traditional striker, and he's been doing brilliantly with it. But it's going to be really interesting, to say the least, to see what Sarri does. And I'm with you, Luca. I really do hope he sticks with Mertens for a little bit longer. So moving on, sticking with Napoli, Hamsik scored a hat-trick, and hat-tricks don't really come much better than that. One was a brilliant diving header as the ball was bouncing up his hair stayed immaculate then was it the second that he just curled in on the run into the top corner there was two into the top corner actually yeah the quality of goals throughout that game was brilliant but Hamsik Hamsik especially so but Nick since you went missing there um I'll bring you back in with this after Diego Maradona do you think Mark Hamsik is Napoli's greatest ever player he's their second top goal scorer now I think yeah um, 100, well, 109 goals I think it is now so second to Maradona with his 115 goals but the thing with Marek Hamsik is I think if you take away those goals I, to be honest I think we should still be having that same conversation that he is you know the best player for Napoli since Maradona easily because you know a goal the goals of his part of his game is a fantastic bonus and I mean you saw on the weekend those just brilliant to watch but 
what he does for that team is so far beyond the, the finishing. Really, it's not really his. I mean, you know, it's it's good to contribute, but really his general role. It's you know you wouldn't usually contribute that much. So um, as an all round midfielder, he is absolutely incredible. And to be honest, I, I at the moment I couldn't think of a better midfielder in Serie A. Um, I think he's hands down the best at the moment. So, um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever met a Napoli player that doesn't hide, hold him in, you know, as high a herald as that. So um, he's pretty much going to be a legend of the club forever, it's no doubt. Um, hopefully he kind of sticks it out there until um, close to the end of the season, uh, to his career, it will be good because, um you know, I'm sure he's had the opportunity to go elsewhere, but he's stuck with it. He's stuck with the project and with the fans. He loves the city there. So, yeah, I can't speak any more highly of Hamsik. He's, um, he's not an interplayer, but I, I love him. <laughs> I'm glad you actually... Luca, continue. Go ahead. No, I, I just thought it was interesting because... Um... You remember a few years ago when you sort of had the sort of golden trio of players at Napoli and they were Hamshik, Cavani and Levetti. And perhaps when they were all there together in their time, that Hamshik was probably the one you'd have at the bottom of that list. Like he probably wouldn't have necessarily been the one who people thought, oh yeah, it's all Hamshik. He's, he's Mr. Napoli, he's the key player. But then obviously they've all gone off and done different things. And then just him sticking there, he's really just carried on, kept emerging, stuck by the club. And I guess, yeah, he's just proved that he is the, like the, the key figure at the club, the, the one who'll go down in history and perhaps, uh, you know, perhaps he was somewhat underrated slightly because he was there at a time when the club also wasn't competing at the kind of level that it is now or has been in recent years. He wasn't scoring the goals of a, a Cavani or a Higuain, but he's sort of kept doing the same thing consistently year after year. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, that three that they had back for those years because that's what I was going to say. And I don't remember Marikamsic quite as strongly from them but I remember having this very vivid image in my head that he was a very exciting attacking player and then he's kind of he has been playing in a deeper position at times in recent seasons but this year he's just he is phenomenal and Nick I'm glad that you discussed him without the goals because even if you do remove his goals his impact on the team is fantastic and one thing that's telling for me when you consider Hamsik is that the Napoli fans seem to have taken him as one of their own, like they did with Maradona. And it was actually a Napoli fan that I saw pose that question about, is he now on par with Maradona? And a lot of people got slaughtered him when he said it, but there weren't, there were a few people that kind of said, look, I I see what you're saying. And from a Napoli fan to even consider him in that sentence is remarkable. I know people often say that you can never ask, to be out and out the greatest. You just want to be part of the conversation. And I think Mark Hamsik is very firmly part of that conversation when it comes to Napoli players now. Um, they've got Real Madrid coming up in the Champions League soon. How do you rate their chances there, Nick? Uh, yeah, it's a hard one. Um, I honestly don't know. I think it has the potential to be one of the most exciting matchups um, we'll see this season given... I mean, I think two of the leading kind of attacking clubs are, um, in Europe, really. I think in terms of goals, chances created and everything, they're both um, up there. I think Napoli actually leads maybe in shots per game. Um, I'll have to double-check that. But, um, you know, they both can at their best play some really exciting football. Obviously, uh, Madrid go in as favourites um, for obvious reasons, I guess you can say. But... Um, if Napoli are at the, the top of the game, and I, I do think Napoli need to need to be on, um, you know, it's and it's going to be a big one going to the Bernabeu. Um, you know, if they can get a decent result there um, and then take it back to the San Paolo, that would be, um, you know, somewhat of an advantage, I guess. So, um, 
Yeah, it's it's going to be a difficult one, but um, you know, I'd love to see them really take it to Madrid. There's no reason why they should go in there um, with any hesitation. Um, they've got nothing to lose, so they should really just go for it. Um, you know, take it to them, see what happens. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, there's no point holding back. Yeah, I'm really happy that it's in Naples because if, if Napoli can go to the Bernabeu and get a result or even keep it close, lose 1-0, whatever... They've got a real chance coming back to Italy because Madrid went on a ridiculous unbeaten run. I can't remember, it was 40 or more maybe, but uh, that came to an end. And then they started losing a couple of games recently. So I don't think they're untouchable. You know, there's there are weaknesses there that can be exploited. And if they can frustrate them in Spain and take them back to Italy, I I honestly, I, I fancy Napoli to go through here. I know it's a, it's a big enough call, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it, which basically just means go out and put all of your money on Real Madrid to advance to the next round. Wow, um, Nick, were you gonna add something there? Oh, I was just surprised that you actually fancy them. Yeah, I, there's just something about them, and when you see them like they were against Bologna, I know it's Bologna who can lose to nine men. But um, no, there's just something about them. Like we said, they are irresistible when they're playing like that. And they've turned it on again after a disappointment against Palermo. How come they're second at home? Have they changed the criteria? I think so, yeah. The rules changed. It might have been last season. It could have been this. But there was definitely a change there. Um, Another team who have bounced back and they thrashed Fiorentina is Roma. Edin Dzeko scored twice, Rajan Angelan, and the best defender in the world, Federico Fazio, scored. Um, he's, he's unstoppable at the moment, but we're going to talk about Dzeko. Nick, we discussed him uh, recently, I think it was the podcast where it was just the two of us, and we said he is such a confidence player, he needs to be scoring to score again, if you get what I'm saying. So is this the start of a run now for Edin Dzeko? Yeah, looks like it. Um, <laughs> I guess so. He's scoring. So, um, you know, as long as he's on the score sheet, um, I think generally it, it it makes him twice the player, really, um, with a bit of confidence. So, um, uh, to the game against Fiorentina, I don't uh, possibly, you know, not to take anything away from Roma because they did everything they needed to, obviously, but I think um, Fiorentina in defence were absolutely atrocious to say the least. So, um, but you know, that's, that's all Zeko really needs. Just, it doesn't matter how he gets it. If he's getting on the score sheet and twice, why not? Um, it, it's going to help him and it'll help him down the line. And, you know, with Mohamed Salah now coming back into the team, you know, there's a lot to be positive about for Roma. Um, it's just getting those kind of, those off games that they had the last, last week, um, trying to take that out of their, their game. Um, just making it more consistent. That's really the only thing that um, the teams under Juve, I guess, are struggling for. And between Napoli and Roma, for second place, it's just going to come down to who can um, have less of those off games than the other. I'm glad that you mentioned Fiorentina's defence being atrocious because 
I was like just taking notes before this and one of the notes under this game I have written is just Fiorentina are really, really bad. Uh, I don't really know what more to say about them. We criticised them recently, not too long after the Juventus win. And I don't know if that was the best thing to do, but we criticised Nikola Kalinic and Fiorentina, but I don't see it with them or Kalinic. I really don't see it with Fiorentina. What? What are they realistically going to do this year? They're behind Milan and Atalanta now, and to be honest, I think they'll stay there. They've, I don't know about playing Milan, but they've got to go to Bergamo, and you'd fancy Atalanta to beat them. Yeah, I, I can't see the way Fiorentina play. I can't see Atalanta. I mean, I can't see that get them getting near Atalanta. It's, I don't know. I think they're somewhat of a, a, a victim of their own. Um, kind of run early last season where everyone kind of got behind them when they were very much overperforming. Um, and I say that with the most respect to everyone involved in that team because it was a great run um, and they deserved a lot of credit for it. But that's not the level, with all due respect, that's not the level that Fiorentina are in. They're, they're, unfortunately, their team isn't up to the to the likes, to the quality of the likes of Inter, even Lazio, you know, the, the Atalanta, the, well, this season, I mean, you say, you know, we joke, but really, I mean, you can watch Atalanta week in, week out this season, and it's good football. Fiorentina, I mean, they're, they're good, they, they're quite good at holding the ball. They can keep possession, but it's, they don't know what the hell to do with it. I mean, they, they it's very, I don't know, it's frustrating to watch. I, I can't imagine being a Fiorentina supporter and shout out to, our friend Connell, who's probably at home in tears every night. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they get they get a lot of possession, but, I mean, it's actually getting worse in terms of what they're doing with it. I was looking at their, their shots and um, the proportion of shot rates that are within the box and outside the box. And, I mean, against uh, Roma, 69% were outside of the box of their shots against Pescara. Pescara, we're talking, again, with all due respect, not to take the piss, but 73% of their shots against Pescara were from outside the 18-yard box. If you can't infiltrate the, the 18-yard box, the penalty area, against Pescara, then something's really wrong with, especially with... Sorry. Yeah, that's a team who haven't actually won a game this season. They were given a win, but they haven't actually won a game this year. Yeah, it's... it's and, and, you know, like I did allude to their quality, but they do have enough quality to be doing a lot better than that. That's the thing. So, obviously, they're not playing at their best. That's You know, I'm not trying to say that this is where they're at, but, um, yeah, I just there's not really much going for them at the moment, so there's a lot of work to be done. The last five Serie A matches... Connor, have a guess of how many shots they've had within their six-yard box. With um, none. One. Oh, which which Seriously? is like, like it's nothing. It's like it's crazy. They've been averaging like sixty percent outside the box. It's crazy. They're not they're not getting into the box at all. It's um, and then and then that's not even talking about the defense, which. If you, if, if anyone who watched the Roma game, it was really bad, and I really feel bad for Sanchez because he was at fault for a lot of it. Let's be honest, but it's not. It's I don't really feel like it's his fault because I mean it's not his position. He's playing out of position, isn't he? And um, you know he he had a good start to it. You know he played there against Juventus, and we we'll, we all kind of praised him, saying how well he played. But I think um, against Roma, it really showed that. You know, that's, that's not where he is. He didn't read the game well at all. He was caught out of position. He was just kind of um, all over the place. And I thought that that um, that fourth goal that Roma scored kind of summed up uh, Fiorentina's defence. It was kind of uh, Gonzalo had it and a, a kind of crappy pass to hip high to, um, I think it was Sanchez. Then Sanchez did kind of lobbed it high up to a story and then a story tried to kind of kick it back to the keeper and completely missed it. And then Zeko just kind of came waltzed in and got his second. So, um, you know, to be honest, I wouldn't put Roma down to being brilliant in any of those goals. I, actually, to be honest, the third goal was quite nice. Um, it was a great running play. But um, but again, with that, Nangolan 
was kind of from the halfway line. He beat three Fiorentina defenders coming back. Like, where was the cover there? So there's a lot of questions with Fiorentina, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go on too much about it because, you know, I'm sure the, the Viola fans are suffering. But, uh, yeah, there's some big concerns there. Yeah, that goal you were describing, it, it was comical. You know, I might be the only one that does, but you know when you're playing FIFA online and you're winning about 4-0 and you just start taking the piss, so you're, like, lobbing the ball around your own box just to annoy who you're playing against it was like that and then things just started to go wrong and you you start bashing the button but it doesn't work um we'll they've spare. got the europa league haven't they uh fiorentina i suppose that's kind of the only film really left open to them really worth uh competing for i think they're playing gladback so perhaps with the sort of bigger occasion of knockout football they might they might turn up a bit more and sort of reach that kind of level where you would expect them to be Fingers crossed, because it, it might come across that we're picking on them a bit, but like, with no hard feelings against well, to, Yeah, to try and to try and look at a positive. I mean, we've all seen what the likes of Chiesa is doing, and um, he's he's been by far probably their best in terms of creating opportunities. But that that in itself shows the problem that this youngster he shouldn't be the mainstay in in your team of creating opportunities. He should be coming in around the the edges of the you know, the the structure that your team has built over the season. It's like he's come into to a team that's not really, you know, it's, this team's just been put together and kind of say, all right, here you go. Good luck. It's, they're not showing a lot at all. No, they're, they're really not. Um, someone who did show a lot, we won't touch on this for too long, but Lazio, they beat Pescara 6-2 and they went 2-0 up. Then it was 2-1 and Pascara missed the penalty and then Pascara equalized. And at this point, I was really excited because at this point, Atalanta were in the top five. And then I didn't check my phone for about an hour, went back to it. Not only had Lazio won 6-2, but Marco Parolo had scored four goals. What happened there? Luca, Nick, did either of you watch this? Because Marco Parolo scored four goals. Didn't he score more than every single Bundesliga team did away or something? He was outscoring <laughs> leagues on his own, I think. I'll have to bet with superior knowledge, given you're in Munich at the moment. But um, if neither of you want to talk about Marco Perello, that's perfectly fine and we'll move on. Um, I have a quick question. It's a serious one because I, I think it's something that needs to be discussed. I try to talk about Atalanta a fair bit, but again, <laughs> no. I, I do I do try and restrain myself as well because I'm aware that no one cares. But, <laughs> okay, they won 2-0, they albeit against Cagliari, but Papu Gomez scored two more goals. And I just want to know, when is he going to win a Ballon d'Or? I'm out, Nick. I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> Come on, you said earlier that you tune into Atalanta every week and you see some good stuff. Yeah. If Papu Gomez wasn't in that team, Atalanta would be nowhere near sixth place. They're far from a one-man team, but without him, they would be nowhere near sixth place. He is absolutely fantastic. He's always been linked with like Roma and Milan. And to be honest, I don't see why he'd go to Milan because they're a mess. But he did come out in the week and say that if Atalanta are in Europe next year, he's definitely staying. And to be honest, even if they're not, I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed because there's something quite exciting going on there at the moment. And understandably, they might lose all their players in the summer. But I don't know, I'm optimistic. And Papu needs to be handed his Ballon d'Or now. And if you disagree, just stop listening, stop watching. Because... Yeah, he's going to get one. <laughs> right, so no we will, we'll finish with the Serie A action and we're going to move on to a few questions that we got. Luca, this one is going to go to you because you like Serie B a bit. So, so Robert Hay asked, what are Barry's chances of promotion in a word? You can elaborate more if you want and talk about the promotion race as a whole, but have Barry got any hope? Uh, I, I, I suppose slim is the word, but 
I guess in lower league football that can that can change quite quickly, especially with how sort of convoluted a lot of the playoff process is that they could sort of sneak in as the the final team in the playoffs and then you would uh, kind of fancy them. It wasn't a particularly good week in uh, Serie B for the teams at the top. I think almost everyone was held to a draw and uh, Verona snuck one at the last minute against Benevento, who were a team up and around there. There was two red cards for each side. Pazzini got sent off as well as a bit silly. He kind of just sort of tried to... Well, he looked like he was trying to control the ball and he sort of kicked the goalkeeper a bit and he got sent off for that and then there was a sort of controversial penalty at the end to equalise it. So that was all uh, a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, Spal remaining up there. They they signed a few players as well in January. They, they seem to be going for it. Having only come up from Lega Pro uh, last year, they seem to be keen to at least get in playoffs. Frosinone in the other automatic promotions. But I don't think Bari, perhaps, yeah, I think they're not they're not quite there yet, but um, also as a, I think it's I know it's a bit weird Serie B where you kind of as a big club you seem to have some sort of weight dragging you down, whereas a lot of these smaller clubs seem really suited to uh, achieving. Whereas perhaps the, the pressure of playing in front of bigger crowds or and having more media uh, coverage can sort of weigh on a team like Bari, whereas I don't know a, a Benevento who I think are like one of the only top teams in or teams in the top division in Europe to not have a Twitter account they are they can really just sort of play their football and not worry but yeah it's still all very very close at the top I think you would still expect Verona to win the league but it's still close enough that they could easily squander I think what's their their point advantage it's only four points from uh, Spal in third and then there's Benevento Cittadella could all catch up and then in the playoffs, it's Bari, Carpi could all do it. So, yeah, it's uh, it's all close. You could get all the teams who went down last year coming back up, or we could get a completely new batch for next year. You've got, got no idea. I think, I suppose, obviously, you'd hope that they give a bit of a better account of themselves than perhaps uh, Pescara or Crotone have. But as a league on its own, it's all close and uh, worthy of some attention. I wonder. I wonder how much with Bari is kind of a mental thing because the thing if they if they are going to get promoted is they that well they're not going to unless they learn to win away from home, which they just don't seem to do this season. That they I think they've won one away from home all season in Serie B, and that was the first away trip of the season. They have not won away from the San Nicola since since that. So, which is a bit odd. So I don't I don't know why or what you know, what you put that down to. But um, I think at the moment maybe they're undefeated in, I think, 10 matches maybe, something like that. But they, they you know, I mean, you can't say if you played every game at home, obviously you're going to go well. But if they if they approach every match like that, you'd think that they'd easily be in the playoffs. And the thing with them is if they continue this way and they do sneak a seventh or eighth into the playoff and they're away, then, you know, you can't see them kind of lifting away from home. So, you really think that they have to be fifth or sixth at least to kind of really push in the the playoffs. So, um, but they have um, correct me if I'm wrong, but they've recruited a lot in the um, in the winter transfer period. I think it was like more than ten um, players that have come in. So, um, I've no idea how that's going to work. Um, I think they got Floro Flores. Is that correct? I'm not actually 100% sure, but I'm um, pretty sure like, it, would be, it would be good to see Barry back in the top flight. I don't, I don't really know why. I think it's just maybe where they're from. It would be nice to have someone from there back in Serie A because yeah, sure. the distribution of teams is really crowded in the north and then kind of there's a few around Rome and Naples. That's but, why I want Cortone to stay. Calabrese <laughs> team. It's not happening. We've had our fun with Crotone. They're they're gone. They might as well just drop out now. But um, with every week that passes, it looks more and more like Spal are going to be the next fairy tale club. They their rise has been remarkable. Before the season started, um, I can't remember who wrote it now, but there was a piece up on Forza Italian Football about them, basically just saying how amazing their rise has been and to watch out for them this year and. I might find it and plug it out again on the Twitter because it's well worth reading from what I remember. Nick, we will come to you with the next question. Just give me a minute to find it. So 
What are your thoughts on Southampton bringing in Martin Caceres? Is he a good fit for the Premier League? And that's from Gary Dabbs. Such a hard question, particularly given what's happened in the last um, two weeks with the Serie A talent, talent that's gone over to the Premier League. We've seen Andre Nokia go in. Um, no. I'm refusing to accept that that's real. By the way, there must be two extra zeros at the the end of his price tag at the moment. Um, So any takers, please contact Inter immediately. Um, Yep, I think Luca's dropped out, so that's good. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I just looked up at the screen and I thought there's someone missing. There's something (laughs) not quite right here. It's Um, just me. Right, we'll we'll see it out anyway. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep... Um, blabbering on um, yeah you've got Niang who's um, kind of seemed to fool all the Watford fans as well he's done all right there um, and then Gabbiadini comes in for Southampton and um, scores a cracking goal for them so um, yeah I don't know maybe maybe not I, who knows it's it's always seemed so hit and miss really and unfortunately the last few seasons it's been a lot of misses from Serie which hasn't given a big account for you know, the talent that is actually in the Italian league. So, um, you know, I, I think he does have a lot of talent, obviously. Um, for him, it's just getting back on the field and playing some consistent football. So I think that's the most important thing for him. And if he can do that in Southampton, then, um, you know, it's a start. Yeah, definitely. It would be good to see him do well. He was linked with Roma when he left Juventus and it looked like that was actually pretty much done, but then it just never happened. And he's kind of just been waiting to be signed I think since hmm. but um, we've lost Luca, so I think it's about time that we wrap this up a little bit actually there was one more question asking about the barriers in the curva at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome from what I understand they are going to be brought down soon uh, Francesco Totti released a statement on his Facebook I believe it was this morning or yesterday there was a meeting about it yesterday and it looks like they will be brought down I think the term given was soon and people thought that meant the end of the month, but it's Italy. So that could mean the end of the season. So don't hold your breath, but it looks like the barriers will be brought down sooner rather than later. Um, Nick, YouTube roundup. Yeah. Um, just about what's going on. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is doing his team of the week over there now to yeah, fill the but, void left by his transfers. So what are yeah, you at? But, for anyone who's kind of subscribed, and if you're not, then get on it now. Um, you're missing out. Yeah, but Vieri's been uh, back in action since his holiday, so he's been spitting out some um, – he's had the, the top youngsters in Serie A, so all the kind of up-and-coming under-21s that are around various clubs. Uh, he's done the team of the week, as you said, so he'll be trying to push that up uh, on a weekly basis, obviously. Um, we've been doing, we did a bit of a piece straight after the Inter-Juve game. So, um, again, if you are subscribed, then you can, for all the major games, we'll be trying to do that. So um, um, get the notifications. So when we are going to do it, you'll know when it's going to happen and you can tune in and ask us some questions as well straight after the match. Anything you want us to kind of explore or talk about, please do so. Um, otherwise, yeah, we'll, we've got the Champions League coming up, so we'll be doing a bit around that. Uh, we've already kind of mentioned today kind of about uh, the Real Madrid-Napoli match. So there'll be a bit around that as well as with Juventus as well. Uh, previewing a bit of that kind of stuff, um, what to expect. Um, and, yeah, just basically looking at any kind of news that comes up. Um, I'll be trying to do some opinion pieces. Um, I don't know. Again, you know, uh, if anything happening, I'll talk some rubbish about it and you can come on and you can tell me how much sense I'm making or you can come on and tell me how much of an idiot I am. I don't really mind, but if you're watching, then that's fine. So, um, you know, it's, we want, we want it to be something that everyone kind of can um, contribute to and have their opinion and have their say about Serie A. So um, whatever it might be. So please come on and enjoy. And I'm sure you'll be the first to react with a video when Alejandro Papu Gomez wins his Ballon d'Or. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so as well as the YouTube, we've also got the website where a few features have gone up this week. I wrote about Mertens, Milik and Sari for Napoli. Uh, Vito Doria has written about Milan. A bit 
untimely given he wrote about them being a bit bad and then they won tonight with nine men but his points are still very valid and he kind of looks at Montella's impact or lack of impact on this team at the moment and what else was there Marco Jackson has something on Torino Pescara and their title race from Serie B in 2012 Kev will be writing something about Juventus all of these should be up by the end of the week some of them are already there yeah Um, so yeah if you want to hear more about the um the Premier League's probably greatest centre-back at the moment in Ranocchia. There's plenty, plenty online there, so check that out as well. Yeah, I have a feeling that video where we criticise him, <laughs> it's just going to sit there quietly for a couple of months, and then when he wins, like, Hull's Player of the Year at the end of the season, the views are just going to soar on that, like the um, the Derby d'Italia preview did after the match. The views just skyrocketed for some reason, but... yeah. That's logic for you. But, the views um, will soar just like his price tag. <laughs> As you will be rubbing your hands. Right. Um, remember, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. On Twitter, we are at Serie FFC. Facebook and Instagram, just search for Italian Football and you'll find us. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Concalcio. I'm on Facebook as well. You can like my page there. Nick on Twitter is Nick Zed Carroll. Um, on Twitter, you're just Nicholas Carroll, or on Facebook, rather, yeah? Yeah, my journalist paid Nicholas Carroll. And head over and like that. And Luca doesn't have a page on Facebook, but you can follow him on Twitter, at GunbyZono. Of course, if you're feeling extra generous, we have a Patreon account. We have a few patrons already. We're looking to get more, of course. And you can donate as little as one euro, one pound, one dollar a month just to help us keep the podcast going. Yeah, and there, there are some cool little rewards too. So, you know, if you want us to do certain videos or, you know, if, if you've donated enough, there's even the chance to even come on and have a chat with us on the, the pod and Google Hangout or whatever it might be. So um, at least go on, have a look, and, you know, we'll try and give some rewards where we can as well. So, you know, it's just a thing to try and make it um, you know, we're not obviously going to try and make any money out of it. We just want to basically make this as be- a best as product as possible. So anything does um, anything does contribute, anything helps. Yeah, that is actually an important thing to say. We aren't looking to make money out of this at all. We're just trying to make the site and its output better, really. So help us if you can. So, Nick, I think that's about it for this week. We went on for way longer than I planned, by the way. I'm... Tomorrow's going to be tough. Um, hopefully this will be out in the next half hour or so. Uh, signing off for all of us at Forza Italian Football, myself, Nick, and the disappeared Luca. It's ciao for now, and we'll chat to you again next week. Forza Napoli! Un giorno all'improvviso Mi innamorai di te Il cuore mi batteva Non chiedermi perché Di tempo ne è passato E siamo ancora qua E oggi come allora Difendo la città
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.